0: Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. Who is this? Thank you for tuning in once again to the Poker Zoo. We included the Barbershop Quartet there again in the intro this week. Uh, Received some positive feedback last week, but after listening to it again, I'm pretty sure it's going to wear out its welcome fairly quickly. Uh, you can find this episode and all other episodes of the podcast at Persuadio.nl or do a search for Poker Zoo. There's a place to leave comments under each of the blog posts. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes or the podcast aggregator of your choosing. Perswadio happens to be away this week on some family matters or something we're not sure. Usually when someone says they need to go away for a while, there's something they're not telling you, so uh, we hope to have him back shortly, which leaves me with both nameless announcer duties and hosting duties. So as your host this week, my name is Dean Martin, and I look for someone here on the right-hand coast of these great United States to interview. I found someone I think you will enjoy So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Chase Bianchi. This week we have the pleasure of interviewing a poker pro here on the East Coast. Uh, He has almost a million dollars in live tournament winnings, at least one WSOP bracelet that I know of at least, plays quite a few tournaments, as well as live cash, and still seems to have a great work-life balance. So welcome to the show, Chase Bianchi
1: thank you thank you very much are you an east coast guy as well dean
0: i am southern pennsylvania oh okay yeah you're not far no south central pa so i play uh charlestown's the closest room for me i play maryland live in mm-hmm. national harbor uh once or twice a month also okay uh, cool so i know you were at borgata last week but are you still there
1: or are you somewhere else exciting now no, I'm just back home. Uh, we moved to Boston recently, so I'm back home. I was only in Borgata for a couple days for the main event and then uh, promptly busted and drove home.
0: That's that's. I was going to ask you how you did, but uh, that kind of answers how Borgata went for you. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very
1: uneventful, just like grind all day, cooler at the end, go home. So you drove home? Yeah, I drove. It was about a uh, five and a half hour drive Okay, down to there and back. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not bad. It's better than flying, really. Yeah.
0: Well, you've been interviewed several times uh, that I've listened to, and you talked about how you got started in poker. So I don't really want to go through all that again. Uh, I'll, I'll put a link to, I think, the Thinking Poker podcast was the last interview I found. And it goes through your early years but short version is that you started playing on the west coast and then moved back home to colorado got married and then convinced your wife to move to the east coast and play at maryland live is that pretty close
1: yep yep (laughs) we uh she was on board with us selling the house and so far uh that was my bankroll and i haven't lost the house yet so it's gone pretty well well were you there when maryland live first opened i was not so i was kind of late to the maryland party but i saw that they had some good games and they were they're uh, running pretty often so that was our spot to move to um but i got there pretty late after maryland kind of kicked off but then mgm national harbor opened which was kind of a uh, reinvigorated that market a little bit yeah maryland live was
0: crazy when it first opened uh, well, i play quite a bit at charlestown which before maryland live that was the only room in the D.C., Baltimore, metro area. So all those people came to Charlestown, and the room was crazy busy. And then Maryland Live opened up with 50 tables, and wow, it uh, everyone just flocked there. Charlestown's audience dropped by 75 or 80%. And then, uh, of course, a few years later, National Harbor opened with an even nicer casino. So the action kind of moved down there. Yeah. Difference between West Coast poker and East Coast, do you find there was a market difference between the two areas, or do you think the differences are more regional?
1: I think the East Coast tends to be newer markets. So like which I, I think is better as a as a player. So for instance, when Maryland legalized the casinos, you kind of have an influx of more inexperienced players. Whereas on the West Coast, like Southern California, places with these well-established poker markets, where they're very good poker markets, I mean, like California has a ton of money in California, so there's always going to be poker there. But you tend to have a more experienced crowd, like even the losing players are tend to be more experienced. But I've found with these, these markets where they've recently kind of opened the floodgates on allowing casinos to pop up that the new markets have, you know, they just have some more recreational, newer players. Um, so it's it's just different kinds of games, I would say. Not not as much experience, yeah. So I
0: assume you went down to National Harbor as soon as it opened?
1: Yeah. I mean, we already lived like 45 minutes away, but we moved even closer when it opened.
0: Yeah, there, it would, I think everyone knew there's so much money in that D.C. area that it was going to be fairly popular, but, man, you had to get there... Early in the day, if you wanted a seat,
1: yeah, yeah, they would fill out that forty-five table poker room. It was crazy.
0: So, did you start off playing
1: fairly big games as soon as you moved uh, east? Not really. I mean, I, when I first moved out here, I was playing two-five and like shot taking five-ten. Um, I probably could have played more five-ten, but I was I was just coming from working a nine-to-five. But, you know, like I've been, I'd been off and on again. Of playing for a living so when i quit my job we sold our house and we moved out here i was like okay i'm gonna take it easy i'm gonna grind some two five like establish a good win rate and then kind of move up and and i got kind of beat in the dirt my first probably like four months living out in maryland uh i went on long like break even slight downswing and it's like questioning life, of course. You know, we sold our house and they were like four months of break even at poker. It was it was pretty miserable. So yeah, I was playing mostly two five and uh shot taking five ten a little bit.
0: And where in this timeline of things did you win your WSOP event?
1: So that was about uh probably a year. Yeah, it was a year almost exactly after we moved to Maryland. So we moved to Maryland, struggled with like two, five, five, ten streets for about four months or so. I uh, binked off this little like 40k score in LA at LAPC, um, and that kind of catapulted me a little bit. It kind of sustained me a little bit, and then it was the uh, next summer at the World Series that I, I just yeah peeled off a, a bracelet for 300,000,
0: which was a nice infusion to the bankroll.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, you know, that was, that multiplied my bankroll. You know, that was, that was huge.
0: So how do you decide you like to play cash? How do you decide when you're going to travel somewhere for a tournament?
1: So, yeah, I do like to play cash. I really like, I like being local. I like being home. You know, like we try to set really deep roots in our community. Even being new to Boston, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, Church activities, friend activities, like stuff that I want to be present for. We're trying to start a family. So there's a lot of reasons to be home. So especially now, the cash grind is what allows me to be home. Um, So I would say like when we're talking about work-life balance, having a steady cash game, is pretty important to me and I I really do enjoy staying home. Um, So the times we will do a tournament is, if it's a particularly good one, so, like, the World Series, very good tournaments, obviously. Um, or if, for instance, this last one, I kind of just wanted to get on a little couple-day road trip. Um, or sometimes we'll combine it with a vacation. So, we'll go to, like, Disney World and play a tournament in Florida.
0: And when you go to Vegas for WSOP, how long do you stay out there?
1: Well, I've kind of tried everything with that. So, when I was younger and had no family, it was – I I did the entire summer thing one year, and I was like, that was a terrible idea. I'm not doing that again because it's exhausting. I, When I'm in Vegas, man, after I hit the like the one to two-week mark, I'm just like, this is miserable. What am I doing here? So I tried to limit it to about a week and a half-ish. Um, this last year, we were in the thick of moving. Uh, because the out here in Boston, the Encore Casino opened June 23rd. So, you know, it's like in the heart of the World Series. So we were moving at that time because I wanted to be here for its opening, mm-hmm. and which was fine. I, you know, it's okay to miss the World Series. It's not a big deal. I just went for the main event and called it good. Did you have any luck
0: at the main event this year? No, still over for life on the main event. I've <laughs> never catched
1: a tournament, event;
0: <laughs> So hard. <laughs> There were a number of people from National Harbor, and I heard through the grapevine that you were one of them that moved to Boston to kind of chase the new casino opening, new money kind of thing. Right. Um, how many guys, uh, friends of yours, moved up there? Surprisingly, very
1: few. Okay. I, I really expected a good handful to move up, especially. The uh, the state of the games at MGM have been on the decline, um, so I, I've been surprised that I haven't seen more faces moving up here. But I'm totally fine with that too. Yeah, like yeah. there's a lot of really good poker players at, at MGM, so I'm happy that I don't see them anymore.
0: <laughs> so what is the what's the climate been like in Boston
1: since you got there? Uh, in terms of the poker room, yeah, Correct. it's been it was really really uh, bump in the first uh, probably month or two. Um, it slowed down a little bit, which is kind of to be expected at the higher limits. Um, it can't just go feverishly forever. So now it's at a, I think, a pretty good pace of the 1020 no limit. 510 runs every day, which is great. 510 no limit runs every single day. Uh, 1020 no limit runs on the weekends and like probably, probably averages about three to four days a week that it runs. Um, and then twenty five fifty and bigger will pop off. I, I would say on average, like once a week, if that, maybe a little less. Uh, but that's that's sporadic too. It kind of goes in the spurts. You have like, the way those games work is they run around people. So right. if there's a live one that is just like in town to gamble for a week, that game could run for a week straight. And then it could not run for a month. You know, it's really sporadic um, and kind of runs in spurts. Well, down at National Harbor,
0: and I was never actually there for one of these, uh, to witness one of these, uh, you hear stories about when the, a rock star or a, a big sports star, uh, Phil Helmuth or one of them came to town, A 100, 200, 400 game would break out, and, and uh, tales of that would spread throughout the mid-Atlantic uh, poker community. We'd hear about it over Charlestown. Does that kind of thing happen
1: up there also? So one very big difference between MGM and Encore is MGM would kind of cater to these semi-private games. So MGM would allow the people that organize this game like Chad or uh, maybe I shouldn't name the other ones. Chad's pretty open about it, but Chad or the other these other guys to bring their set lineup of like, okay, I'm showing up with eight other guys. These are the nine guys we're going to start the game with. And then after that, it would be open seating. Um, so they would get to start their initial game and then it would be a public list after that. Now here at encore, they're very much like zero tolerance for anything. They're not making any, um, they're not working with anyone to, to do any of that. So at encore, it's like, if you come in with four of your friends or eight of your friends, it's like, OK, we have a list going. You guys can get on the list, but you're not going to start your own game, which it's it's a little bittersweet because the natural reaction from those guys is, well, then we're just going to go and run our normal home game. Like we're Correct. not going to come in here yeah that seems that
0: seems counterproductive from the room standpoint. And I assume that's just the poker manager's decision to whether to cooperate with someone like that or or not
1: to right. I mean, I think there's merit to both. yeah, I, I would prefer they make some some effort to get that game in the room, um but just make sure that there's pretty firm protections to make sure that they're not just running their own game um i don't really know what that is i know mgm (laughs) kind of did did some things i didn't agree with like mgm would for a while was allowing them to limit the game size so if they came in and they could only bring five people to play they'd be like okay we're playing five-handed poker game tonight Which was pretty dirty, you know, to just, like, cut everyone else out because they couldn't fill their game. So there's got to be some happy medium. um, But Encore has decided to just cut it off, and, you know, we run only public games. There's no skipping the list. There's no starting your own, which it might force some of these games in home games, which is kind of a bummer. But it also just forces them to play in the open player pool, too. So um, there's some good aspects of it, too. Because a, a lot of these guys, even the big players that are playing these home games, they like playing in a casino. There's some great aspects of playing in a casino. You can, get, you can go to one of these nice restaurants. You have security. You can park your car. Like you know, There's a lot of really good aspects. There's a reason why these guys want to organize games at casinos, because it's a very nice atmosphere. It's a good place to be. Um, so that's not to say that because they're not working with these home games that we're not going to get any big players or anything. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's politics. It's kind of that dance of, uh, the staff wanting to do what's best for their room. Um, and how that kind of plays out.
0: Well, there's a lot of money, of course, in the DC area, as well as a lot of money in the Boston area or are the, are the player demographics, uh, about the
1: same, uh, player demographics. No, I mean the Boston area is like predominantly white. Yeah. It's, okay. it's very white. Uh, yeah. Uh, DC area was much more diverse, uh, demographics wise age. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really noticed much. It was pretty similar.
0: Well, as a pro player, you feed off of the recreational, um, money that flows through the poker economy. As more rooms open up, do you feel like there's enough of that recreational money to go around, or does it become increasingly difficult to find it?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, one risk you run with all these casinos popping up is that it kind of splits the player pool a lot. So that could be that could be problematic um, if there is any kind of like downturn in terms of poker. But I think right now poker is pretty healthy. Uh, I'm not really too worried about like money just completely drying up or anything. (laughs) Poker is one of those things like there's always going to be a poker game. It's just a matter of like whether it's uh, whether money is really like pumping into the economy or whether you just have to be one of the best players. And I don't know. I mean, I I don't worry too much about the future of poker. I think it's pretty, pretty uh, safe to, to say we're going to have some poker games for a long time.
0: So you would say the available recreational money has more to do with economic factors. In other words, everyone's, as everyone makes more money, they have more discretionary income.
1: Sure. I mean, one of the reasons we, That I thought the Boston market was going to be good is because it's a very fluent area. I think there's probably a lot of people with disposable income up here, so um, you know, I I think that's important to have. That's why Southern California is always going to be a good poker market too. Yeah, uh,
0: thinking speaking of Southern California, and we were talking earlier about organized games. uh, Chris had interviewed lyman a couple podcasts ago and it was interesting to hear how the casinos kind of work with several of those guys to who who have friends and can organize a fairly big game and they kind of give them a partial rake back on the on the game um is there any way that'll ever happen on the east coast you think or is that pretty much out
1: i i really doubt it i mean especially certainly not in Boston where they're uh, taking pretty firm stance against it. But I suspect that a lot of these, you know, these meetup games that have become popular with like the vloggers and stuff. Oh yeah. You familiar with those? So like the Brad Owens and Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm pretty sure that they have to be doing some kind of rake share or else it's not like either that or some kind of flat fee, but
0: yeah, well I talked to Andrew Nimi at, um, he was playing at the Win there over the summer uh, two five until uh, he left the table and a five ten game starter. But I think they pay them. They pay their travel costs and a free hotel room, and then they get uh, like fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred dollars to uh, free money to play with um, you know, for all the free publicity and so forth. Okay, so it's more like a flat flat fee sort of thing. Correct. But the That's room cool. the, the room they gave him was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. The one uh vlog that Andrew posted, uh it was like a multi room suite, maybe five or six rooms, seven multiple bedrooms. He it was huge. He fired his uh drone up inside and flew it around and was showing off the room, so it was pretty incredible. Which begs the question, when are you starting your vlog?
1: Oh gosh. I you know, I thought about it, but it's just too much work. I don't wanna like uh, I especially if you're playing big stakes, the risk of getting like kicked out for vlogging is just too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guys. saw one,
0: one of the vloggers got kicked out of Borgata last
1: week. Yeah, Ryan DePaulo, man. Yeah, parkour. I kind of secretly enjoy his vlogs, too.
0: Yeah, he said uh, he received no warning, uh, although he had uh, run into security several times, but they didn't say, you need to stop this, or we're going to kick you out next time. It was just... Um, several uh run-ins with security he turned his camera off and started back up again and the one time it was uh you're gone for a year yeah that's
1: rough- see something like that happening man i couldn't be like unless there's some big deal like if someone was sponsoring me to do it or something but it's just not worth the risk for me
0: As, speaking of uh content i noticed there haven't been any top two podcasts in quite a while uh you guys gonna ramp that back up at
1: some point or what are your thoughts <sighs> I I thought about it a couple months ago, but really, like, Andrew is running his restaurant. He's even kind of, like, getting in the corporate side of the restaurant business, so he's just way too busy. It's too hard to do a solo podcast, so unless I found someone to, like, co-host with, I don't think it's going to happen as much as I enjoyed it. uh, Wasn't he working
0: at a casino whenever you were
1: yeah when we started he was working at the commerce and then he uh opened a restaurant and that just like he worked for like literally like 120 days straight you know restaurant business is no joke
0: it's a tough business but he must be making money at it if he's uh
1: still yeah they're doing well they're doing surprisingly well for a new restaurant so um he's he's in the right spot doesn't need doesn't need the podcast distraction right now
0: so, what kind of restaurant, or how did you decide what uh, type of restaurant to, to open?
1: Uh, so, they're, I think they do, I guess I'd classify them as like gourmet fast food burgers. So, they, they do you know, kind of like build your own burger. It's called Burger-M, Burger-I-M. Okay. And, yeah, it's like fast food gourmet burger sort of things. You build your own little sliders. Um, you can get like Wagyu beef or uh, whatever. Yeah yeah you can get all the fancy stuff on it um it's kind of like high-end but still fast food
0: do you have a partner to start that with or did he just jump out on his own
1: uh him and his wife just went for it it's a like kind of new franchise so i think they were it was a low entry cost sort of thing opportunity great um i love food and love to cook and uh,
0: chat about barbecue on the podcast every now and then so always interested in food
1: are you still doing the Twitch uh, stream? Not really. Um, online poker is just not really worth it right now. I don't know. Do you play online, Dean?
0: I play on global a bit, and a few of the PB poker clubs that I know, um, know guys that are running them and so forth. So, But that's about it for me. Okay. Yeah,
1: I mean, in terms of comparing it to the live games I can play, it's just really not worth it. Um, I was doing it more for enjoyment than anything but then I'm like you know (laughs) my hours can be better spent other places so it kind of took a backseat and I just haven't picked it up again. I'm surprised you play in PP poker rooms. Do you guys have like your own club or? Yeah well one of the guys that's in the
0: the Poker Zoo chat group has some friends in Detroit who have a club and so i Play in one of those, and then um, Chris has his own Mm -hmm. club. It's fairly small, and we just have some kind of meet-up games that uh, he knows everyone that's involved. So, Other than that, if you just go out and look for a club, it's like the Wild West out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't want to step on your guys' toes, but that stuff all sketches me out really bad. Yeah, well, you've been
0: pretty vocal, um, especially with the New York Poker King. I think I saw a video.
1: uh, You were interviewed about that. Yeah. uh, So I understand. Yeah. uh, I mean, there's been several even since then that have shut their doors and ran off with player funds. It's scary. I mean, there's no oversight. Not that there's really oversight on like sites like America's Card Room where they really just have a rubber stamp on their on their poker room. But I don't know. It's kind of one of those are too big to fail sort of things. But so is Full Tilt. So. I don't know. It's all pretty scary, really. Maybe that's why I'm not playing online, too.
0: Yeah, well, the PP poker thing, those guys make so much money when they get started, and so they want to get more and more players and start playing fast and loose with the credit. You know, say, well, just start playing, you know, I'll spot you five grand or whatever to get started. And uh, a couple guys like that, Lose money at your game and then don't pay you off, well, then there's no cash to pay the players who actually have uh, have won and put uh, real money into yeah into uh, into the game. So yeah. yep, it's it's like the Wild West.
1: That's crazy. Except I actually to- had a guy I was playing cash games with at Encore. He said to me like Hey, like do you have any essentially have any interest in starting a club with me?" And I was like. <laughs> No, but it's kind of ironic. Like I've pretty firmly spoken out against it, like how <laughs> sketchy it is. It's, dudes are just asking me if I want to start a club. I'm like, no
0: way. Yeah, after you've uh, after you've gone on record and spoken out vehemently yeah, uh, against yeah. uh, several of them.
1: Screw NYPK club. Join my club.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, talking about keeping your at the top of your game. What what um, what do you? or what have you used in the past to improve your game I, I know some of the software that you've used have you do you get any live or any um uh, personal coaching do you have a coaching a group of guys that you share uh hand histories with or do you just do everything on your own
1: uh yeah so i've i've definitely done like training sites especially when i was um newer into poker uh, training sites were a big deal, especially back then. Um, just like getting insight into this basic basic strategy and how to learn this stuff. I think train training sites are a really good resource. Um, I think once you get more advanced, you should probably be, you can still do use training sites, but I think most of your studies should be self-led. Um, meaning like you should be taking the hands that you play using software, plugging in ranges, um, kind of doing some self-guided study. And maybe you need to like figure out how to even like use these programs like a solver or or even like uh, Flopzilla or there's plenty of different poker programs out there. Um, So I I really do think that once you get to a more advanced stage, you should be doing more self-led poker study. I also have a, a study group. I had one in Maryland that I'm still active in, and then uh, now I have a new study group in Boston, which is the one in Boston is more casual, but we we do share some strategy discussion, um, which is always good to have some peers to bounce hands off of. Uh, I think I think that's valuable as well, but that probably shouldn't be your main uh, study. You know, you should definitely be doing some self-led study.
0: So then, how do you decide uh, splitting your time as far as Uh, table time on the table versus time
1: off the table studying um uh, this is one where recently i have not been doing much studying or it's not as much as i should just because i've been playing i've been like trying to just grind as many hours as i can at the new uh, casino opening um but typically i think you should be around 10 percent of your hours or study hours so um there's a couple ways you can do that um if you're playing full-time and you want like four hours a week to be studying, um, then maybe you can take one of your days off and, or one of your half days off, you study for four hours and you kind of do what you want with the rest of your day. Um, another way that I've seen people do it is, um, they'll study for like an hour before they go and play a session. They'll like run some ranges on a hand um, and do like an hour before each session that they play. And then they're able to get in, you know, like four or five hours in a week. So I I think either approach is fine or, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. But I would, I would aim for around 10% of your hours to be study hours. Um, And even when you're more of a beginner player, you could even be doing probably more than that, especially if you're under like bankroll restrictions, it's not as easy to just fire up a poker session all the time. If you're short rolled, I mean, you can always study studying is free.
0: Yeah, well, I'd like to get over to work-life balance. I know I've heard you talk about this before, but with the, even with the photos you post on Instagram, it's not just chip porn photos. It's um, um, nature shots, vacation shots. So I know you make a concerted effort to maintain a, a good life outside of poker.
1: Um, maybe you can talk about why that's important to you. Sure. Uh, well, first thing is, like, um. am My first, my identity isn't a poker player. I'm not a poker player that does other things. I am, uh, I'm a son of God that does, that plays poker. So there's like a big distinction there and where that's actually, that's definitely something I struggle with is I put too much of my identity in poker. So this can lead to me, like if I have a downswing, man, I like feel terrible about myself because I view myself as like a poker player first, which is not how I should. So yeah, I think having that perspective of, poker is something that I do, but it's not who I am. Um, so this should affect my priorities. So poker is a big priority for me because it's my job. Um, but it is not a higher priority than my family or my faith in God. So I think having those perspectives, just keeping poker in its proper place is really important. Um, that's obviously going to be different for different people in terms of like, what you believe, what you think is valuable. Um, but I would just encourage you, you know, if you're struggling with this, uh, poker balance, um, it's like have an honest look, what, where does poker rank in terms of importance in your life? I mean, maybe, maybe it's too high, maybe, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what I would encourage people look, what importance is poker really in your life and is it matching your priorities in terms of like what you're actually doing?
0: It's interesting thinking about our identity. I was sitting with a player last week, and he just uh, turned to me and said, "You know, I was going through Facebook, and it recommended a friend, and it had your name, but it didn't look anything like you. <laughs> you this guy had a actual family and grandkids, and uh, uh, and here uh, I thought you were just a poker player." So, we indeed often look at the other people at the table as just a poker player and don't mm. realize that they have, a, they go home and have a family life and other things that they do. Totally, man. Yeah. So, uh, thinking about you moving to an entirely new community and knowing that you want a life outside of poker, um, how were you able to quickly plug into to that community and find, uh, uh, find some uh, people up there to to uh, relate to. Mm, yeah,
1: so when we were moving out here, we tried to be really intentional of like setting expectations and goals for our move. Um, similar to when we moved to Maryland, um, it's a really good time to kind of hit the reset button. Not not really hit the reset button, but to evaluate like, man, what are we doing well? What do we need to focus on? Um, so when we moved out here to Boston, we we're like, okay our move to Maryland was really great in that we found a lot of friends and church and community. Um, we definitely want to do that and not take for granted that that's going to happen again. Um, so when we moved out here, we, uh, pretty quickly found a home church that's close to us and really tried to invest in relationships in our community at church, as well as our, uh, little community that we had through poker, um, and through other little things. Um, so investing in community and seeking out community was a really, really big thing for us. And we're, we've been super blessed. God has provided a, a home church for us that we love. Um, he's provided a lot of friends in that church, um, that have really welcomed us in. Um, so that's been, that's been really awesome. And then we've been, um, seeking, uh, to grow our family, which has been, been some taking some steps there, which kind of come into fruition, um, maybe in, uh, fostering. So yeah, we're getting going in the foster care and and how to pursue that. Yeah. So there's been a lot going on. Um, and then also, you know, like we might be poker players and casinos are this like, uh, you know, we're trying to take each other's money and it can be kind of hostile, but like, I still want to have relationships. I don't have friendships at the poker table at the casino. Um, so one thing I've been intentionally trying to do is like just talk to people build relationships hopefully even some friendships uh, are forming Uh, and I really like this is this is where I go to work every day I want to be able to like smile and say hi to people and have a have a nice place to go to work Um, so yeah some those are some intentional things that we've been seeking out yeah I remember when I first started playing I was
0: very focused on trying to improve my game and kind of sat there quiet with my head down and was focused on playing well and trying to make money. and uh, The first kind of friend that I made at Poker uh, heard a guy talking about uh, uh, some Stratocaster guitars that he had, some nice collectibles, and of course Mm -hmm. I've played guitar and drums and piano for a long time, and so started to ask questions about that and talk about life outside of poker and found out he was a, a amateur radio operator also like myself and we had a lot in common and we've been uh we've been friends ever since and uh, so from then on I try to find interesting people to talk to and relate to uh, there's a guy uh, in the room at Charlestown that I know had a lot of money and people talked about him having a lot of money so one day I just asked him because i'm kind of interested in how people get started i said how what is the what's the first big break you got first time that you um got that big break to uh to bust out and he told me the most interesting story i will not have have time to go into it now i'm hoping to interview him sometime actually uh on the podcast here but uh just a, a crazy story and a confluence of life events that uh that turned out to start him on the path to multi-millionaire so yeah it's really cool yeah we have interesting <laughs> lives outside of the poker room
1: yeah totally and i'm really it's really cool when someone actually asks something like about me and not just about me playing poker you know like when if i want to connect with someone like i mean we can talk shop a little bit of course this is our commonality we we're, we're all playing poker here this is an easy way to connect with you but like i also want to know like there's guys that i've played countless hours with in Maryland that some of those guys like, Oh, like, Hey, how's it going with your girlfriend? Or, um, how are your kids doing stuff like that? You know, like if I, if I want to get to know you, I want to I talk about more than just poker. Um, but you, you don't have to be best friends with everyone, but that's really cool. They go there with the, those guys that you're playing with. Yeah. Well, I, I don't like
0: to talk strategy at the table, first of all. And, um, uh, secondly, it, it gets boring just talking about poker all the time. There's a gentleman uh, that, um, and I remember every time I sat beside him, it, it just becomes annoying because he's constantly talking hand after hand and what, what he had in the last hand and how he would have should have played this. And, um, so I'm sitting with uh, at, a, at a table one time, and I saw him walking up and taking a seat. And the guy beside me says, uh, "I'm out of here. I need a table change. He said I can't stand sitting beside that guy because all he talks about is poker. So uh, we don't want to be that guy."
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I totally know what you're saying, and like, I'm even like picturing people in my mind that are that I play poker with. <laughs> Especially for listeners out there, for you to like. I've been surprised when those guys that annoy me, if I like do engage with them and like talk to them about like fishing or, you know, like try to talk to them about something else, man, you might actually have a conversation they won't be (laughs) talking strategy for a while. So there's tip uh, of the day. Yeah. yeah, Like engaging, (laughs) even though it's hard is usually better than just like, because then all you do is you get quiet and they talk more, you know? (laughs) And hopefully, here's here's the, even the long play. You build a relationship with that person, you can be like, hey, man, maybe you should talk less strategy at the table. And you <laughs> actually have some credibility because you're a friend with this guy. There you go. Uh, so how, long, though, do I,
0: how uh, long do you see yourself staying in the Boston area?
1: I really hope that we can just lay some deep roots here and be here for many, many years. That's obviously going to be dependent on poker, whether the poker games sustain Um, I I think there's a good chance that they do, though. This is a good, affluent economy. Um, It's a big poker room. Uh, I I think that the games should be good for a long time. So I really hope to be here 10, 15, even our whole lives. I have no idea. Um, But I hope for a long time. What's the cost of living compared to the D.C. area? It's slightly higher. Yeah, we're, we're about 35 minutes north of the casino. So we're farther away from the city. And it's not quite as bad, but it's still a little bit higher than the uh, where I was living uh, in Maryland.
0: How hard is it to deal with traffic?
1: Well, that's a good thing about being a poker player—is <laughs> I just <laughs> never drive a rush hour. Man, there you go. <laughs> but I, I've heard—I've heard that the traffic is terrible here because it's, all the roads in Boston were made for like horse and buggy, and it's just a joke. But I avoid it.
0: My only experience is driving the main. Many years ago, we came through the Boston area about 3 a.m. and there were still bumper. To, there was still bumper to bumper traffic. I mean, it was flying though. We were going 80 mile an hour at least on six and seven lanes wide. And I thought, what is all this traffic doing out here in the middle of the night? So um, <laughs> anyway, it was a bit crazy. Well, I, that's really all that I had, is there anything else that, uh, you wanted to share that I didn't bring up?
1: Oh, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm good, man. Are you going to come up here? You think visit the Boston room? I'm sure that there will be a time. I, I get
0: up that way. Um, well, we do the same thing. Kind of you, you talked about, uh, for vacation this year, we, we went South, we went to Florida and I played poker for a couple of days at Tampa and then spent the, rest of the time sightseeing with my wife but so some uh, some vacation will probably come north.
1: Cool. Yeah, if you bring my wife we'll get a double date going. <laughs> or a, if you come by yourself, hit me up, we'll get a coffee or something. Sounds good. If
0: someone wants to connect with you online, where's the best uh, where's the best way wow. to do you want anything anything you want to promote or sure. contact info? Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm I'm most active on Instagram. You can search my name Chase Bianchi, should pop up um and twitter too yeah just search me up you'll find me
0: okay and i'll stick uh, links to both of those in the um in the notes for the podcast so well i really 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 appreciate you taking a few minutes to to talk to me today and uh i don't know when's your next next poker session
1: uh probably this afternoon yeah a couple (laughs) hours from now (laughs) You got to beat traffic, man. I got to get on the road soon. Do you
0: play halfway through the night? I, I know you left me a note about 3 a.m. this morning. Were you uh, still at the table?
1: I wasn't at the table last night, but that is about my bedtime. Uh, I tend to be on the late shift lately, going in, like, getting there about 4 p.m., playing until midnight, 2 a.m., coming home. Yeah, Sounds
0: good. As long as your wife can put up with that, you're good to go.
1: Yeah, she's a saint. She's She's good to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Chase. Well, thanks a lot. All right, Dave. have a good day. It's been a pleasure, man. Tim, we'll see ya. And thank you for tuning in once again to the Poker Zoo podcast. Edited this the day after the interview, and really appreciated as I listened back what Chase had to say about having an identity outside of poker. Because uh, if my identity is only about poker, uh, losing session really, really sucks. Or two in a row is even worse. <laughs> But anyway, you can find us at persuadio.nl or simply do a search for The Poker Zoo. I'd love to get your feedback. There's a place for comments under each of the episode blog posts. And uh, subscribe on iTunes. If you have something witty or interesting that you would like to hear on the show, you can leave us a message at the zoo hotline, 410-775-6224, 410-775-6224. And with that, we will be back next time.